Would you turn to the familiar Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The minister of music, the St. Matthew's Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, was meeting with her preschool choir, and they were all excited as they had the arrival of Christmas fours and five-year-olds, and she asked them, what does Christmas mean to you? And as you can imagine, she got a, an array of answers, responses to that. But she said there was a little girl with a sparkle in her eye that gave her favorite response. She said, Christmas is a day of surprises. Indeed it was, and for the most part still is. What a shock to a teenage girl, many scholars believe, was only about 14 years of age, when an angel came to her and said, I've got news for you, Mary. You're going to have a baby. And that baby is unique in this way, conceived of the Holy Spirit, Messiah of God. What a surprise, to say the least. And to Joseph, her engaged Man, he knew it wasn't his baby. And to Elizabeth and Zacharias, who had, who had prayed for a child for years, and now they were too old to have children. And when the announcement came that they were going to have a child, and he was going to play a part in this Christmas drama, it was so incredulous to them that... The man became mute and couldn't talk for nine months. And here were these shepherds out on the same hills, the same old job, the same old sheep. And all of a sudden, heaven breaks open and an announcement comes that Messiah is born. A day of surprises. It was a surprise the way that God revealed to humanity where He was and who he was. Who would have ever looked for God in a manger, in a little obscure village in the, on the backside of nowhere? There were many who believed in the coming of Messiah. They, they thought he would come some 
in great military might. No military man would ever show up in Bethlehem. At least when he came, he would come to a king's palace or to the home of wealth and prestige and power. But who would look for God in a barn in Bethlehem where the stench of urine and dung and sheep reeked in the air, surrounded only by shepherds and sheep and pain and blood and darkness. What a surprise to find Him there. But I tell you, God is always showing up in the most surprising places. Peter Vumbrun said that he stood one day with a man who had just lost his son, and he was sobbing. And this man's mother had her arm around his shoulder trying to comfort him. And the grieving father said to Pastor Vumbrun, Where is your God now, sir? And Vumbrun said, Look, I think you'll see him in the arm of your mother. He's always showing up in the most surprising places. And Charlie Howard was professor of New Testament in Campbell College in Buies Creek, North Carolina. And one day a young man came to him and said, uh, Brother Howard, I want you to go with me today. I need to go and see if I can get my wife back. She left months before and left him with small children. He said, I finally traced her to a, to a brothel in Raleigh. Would you go and help me get my wife back? That was back in the 50s, and brothels were common in the cities. And he said, we got in our car and headed to Raleigh and said, we went up, started up the walk to this house of prostitution. Said, Charlie Howard, I was looking around, hoping nobody would come by and see me. He said, we knocked on the door, and the matron came to the door, and she stood there a while, and she thought we were there as a customer. He said, I've come to see, and he called her name. He said, I'm her husband. He said she went back inside and came in a moment and out came this young woman, beautiful woman. He said she had this countenance of hatred and anger and bitterness. But he said, I listened to this young man as he poured out his heart of love and forgiveness and need. And he said, I sensed all of a sudden the Spirit of God move upon in upon that porch. And he said she began to soften and he said, this man said, could we pray? And he said, we all knelt on the porch of that brothel. And he said, I heard this young man pour out his heart to God. And then he said, as if God broke up a dam, her eyes began to pour torrents of tears. And she began to call to God in repentance. And when we stood up, she said, just a minute and I'll get my clothes and while she went inside, he said, we walked to the car. And when we sat down in the car, the young man said, Charlie, did you recognize that other person who came out on the porch? And Charlie Howard said, yes, I recognized him. He was like the Son of God. And Erie Weissel tells about enduring Auschwitz. When all of those Jews were exterminated like insects. And he said, one day they brought out... Three men to hang them on a gallus as a public display. Two men and a teenager. He says they put the noose around their necks. He said the two adults cried, Long live liberty! But the young teenager was silent. 
He said, with a nod of the executioner, they kicked out the chairs and the noose came down on their necks and the two adults died instantly, but the young man lived. He said he was hanging there with his tongue protruding out of his mouth and his eyes bulging as we marched. He said, we had to march past and look at him. He said, I heard a man behind me whisper, where is God? He said he hung there for an hour and we watched him as he died this horrible, agonizing death. He says, we marched by for the last time. The same man whispered, where's God? Where's God? And he said, I heard something welling up inside of me whispering, he's here. Look, he's hanging on this gallows. And so incredulous was it that God would be born in a manger. A poet put it like this. A stupid horse and cow, they say, stood in a stable munching hay, a rather stupid sort of grass. It seems a village girl was there, a stupid sort of maid. Her husband was a carpenter, a stupid sort of trade. Her child was lying in a stall, a stupid place to sleep. And stupid shepherds came to call with stupid lambs, stupid sheep. And angels sang, etc., songs of this world and the next, and so fulfilled from Isaiah a rather stupid sort of, tra- of text. But God is always showing up in stupid places. It's a surprise to discover what God is like. Now these men, ancient men, had the Old Testament scrolls and when they opened them to Psalms, they found such words as these. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river unto the ends of the earth. And from Jeremiah they read, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon upon the earth with my great power. And from Hosea they read, I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And from Amos they turn to see, though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb to heaven, hence will I bring them down. And first chronicles they would find, thou reignest over all, and in thy hand is power and might. And from Daniel, that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. That's what they understood of God. But who would ever expect to find God as a baby? Does that surprise you? Does me too. He through whom time was made was made in time. He, by an eternity, was older than the world itself, was younger than his contemporaries. He who made man was made man. He through whom that woman was given existence was given existence. And he was carried by hands he formed, nursed at breast he filled, And in speechless infancy, he cried in a manger who was word. And he who gave...
angels watched while Mary changed God's diaper. And creation observed its creator learning how to walk. And everything that is in the world he created stood in awe as they listened to this baby learn how to speak. And he was exactly as we are. That surprises me. That he felt what we feel, experienced what we experience, knows what we know in suffering and pain. Max Lucado puts it like this. This baby born, this boy of Bethlehem, may have had acne, who knows. May have been tone deaf. The girl down the street may have had a crush on him, vice versa. He burped. <laughs> he, he, he may have snored. He, uh, his feet got tired and his head ached. And his feelings got hurt. And he grew weary and, and he, he, was a, he was afraid failure. He was just like we are. Does that surprise you? Me too. It was a surprise how he manifested his power. Who but God would have displayed his power in a manger? Ernest Campbell calls it manger power. And manger power is modest and not pretentious. It does not depend on trappings but upon truth. Have you ever noticed that the more insecure we feel, the more we have to depend on rank and title and wealth. And John Reed writes in the New York Times an article called Pomp and Politicians. And he makes note of all the money that we taxpayers pay to support the, the politicians. Their long um, black limousines and their large staffs and their aircraft and their retinue of servants and aides. And he says that if there is a, a credibility gap, if there's a problem between us and the trust of politicians, he said one way to, 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 to restore credibility is to get, away, get rid of all this stuff he calls pomp and circumstance. He writes, to use this phrase of William Shakespeare, away with pomp and circumstance, get rid of the 21-gun salute and the honor guard, and the red carpet, and the presidential hideaways, and the state dinners, and trade in those long black limousines for a more modest, compact car. For manger power is modest and not pretentious. It believes that success is not just measured by size and numbers. Its interest is not on the image, but on the essence it's the quality that counts to manger power. And one diamond seller was asked one time, how's business? He said, well, when you sell diamonds, you don't have to have much business. But he said, a diamond is a diamond whether you have any customers or not. And manger power is the power of love. So said Napoleon, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have built empires. But upon what do we rest the creatures of our genius? Upon force. I tell you, he said, 
Jesus of Nazareth has built an empire on love, and at this hour, millions would die for Him. And I'm surprised this morning at how He measures greatness. For there's not a single person in this Christmas drama who is great, really. Not Mary and Joseph. They're just ignorant people, common, ordinary people, young they lived in this obscure village, did nothing that ever caught the attention or the imagination of the world. They never made headlines. They were just good people that feared God and tried to do an honest day's work at the home and in the carpenter's shop. And yet I cannot forget that the Savior of the world was Mary's son. Greatness, not soul the shepherds. These nomads living out on the rocky hills of Judea. Anybody who was any never even paid them attention, never gave them a second glance. In fact, their vocation was looked upon with contempt by the rabbis because they wandered around looking for new pasture. They could not carry on faithful, formal religion. So they were zeros, spelt with a capital Z. But I cannot forget this morning, nor is it, nor can it be denied that the announcement of Messiah came first to them. Greatness, not Jesus. This man was born in this obscure village. His father was a carpenter. He was not of the ruling class. He was a peasant. He spent the first 30 years of his life in a carpenter shop, three years as an itinerant preacher, hated by the religious leaders, hounded by the state police and crucified when he was 33. And yet the man who wrote this little book put it better than I could. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30, 30 years of age. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher, never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves while he was dying. His executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he held on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a barred grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he's the central figure and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as this one solitary life. And H.G. Wells, who is not a historian, said he is irresistibly the central figure of the human race. I am surprised. At his greatness. But the greatest surprise of all for me this morning 
is the fact that while Messiah was being born and while Messiah was living, most people didn't know it. And most people didn't care. Um, a lady was talking to a little girl about her new baby brother. And she said, how's your baby brother? How you like your new baby brother? She said, oh, he's okay, I guess, but there are a lot of things we needed a lot more. There is nothing you need more today than to know Him born 2,000 years ago. And the sad surprise and tragedy is, is that many of us, although the star shines, will never see it. Although the baby lives, became a man, died on Calvary, rose from the grave, most of us will miss it and Him. And the great surprise is, is that most people on planet Earth will live and die with an answer to their deepest need. And they'll miss it. And so the songwriter put it in the old Negro spiritual. I wish I could sing it. Sweet little Jesus boy, they made you be born in a manger. Sweet little holy child, we didn't know who you was. Didn't know you'd come to save us, Lord. Take our sins away. Our eyes was blind. We couldn't see. We didn't know who you was. Long time ago you was born, born in a manger low, sweet little Jesus boy. The world treats you mean, Lord. Treat me mean too, but that's just how it is down here. We didn't know who you is. You done told us how, and we's a trying. Master, you done showed us how, even when you was dying. Just seems like we can't do right. Look how we treated you. But please, sir, forgive us, Lord. We didn't know it was you. Sweet little Jesus boy, born long time ago. Sweet little holy child. We didn't know it was you. And the sad surprise is we don't. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us with eyes of faith to look at the truth. And with eyes of faith, find you not in a manger of straw, 
but in a manger of print and page, living word. And I pray for that faith, Lord, that calls men and women to follow and to trust and to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And discover, Lord, what He does and what He will do and what He's doing in human life. This is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Now with, in a moment as we have our invitation, I want to ask if there's any of you who've never given your heart and life to Christ. He's not, the manger's empty. He grew up and he became a man. He died and was raised from the dead. And he's very much alive. He wants to be your Lord and Savior this morning. Don't miss him. I couldn't understand it's incredulous that you would go away without him. Maybe this morning there are those who need to come and put their life in a place where they can serve Him. This is the place. God has blessed this fellowship. Won't you come and be a part of it with us? Whatever God leads you today in decision time, in invitation time, we, we would pray you would do it. While we stand to sing, would you come?